All right. Well, hey, if you have a Bible, open up to Numbers chapter 9. Numbers chapter 9. We've been in Leviticus so far in our series, and now we're marching into Numbers. Um, so we're in a series, our, this is our fall sermon series called Dwell. And so we are looking at how uh, God had come to dwell among the Israelites, his people, in the Old Testament in a very special and unprecedented way in a facility, a tent called the tabernacle. And so God is dwelling among his people. And each week we've been making very significant connections to the New Testament and even to today, how Jesus came to earth to dwell among us. And today we're going to continue to see this wonderful truth as we know that we serve a God who dwells with us. So let me pray and we will dig right in today. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you that we have the Bible, the Word of God, Lord, that you have revealed truth to us. You are the ultimate source of all truth. And so, Lord, whatever is right, whatever is good, whatever is true comes from your very nature, who you are. And so, Lord, you have revealed this truth to us in written form in the Bible. What an amazing thing that we have. What an amazing thing we get to do come together as people who believe in the one true God in Jesus Christ, and we get to read your truth. So Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would change us and help us to understand these things. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, you know how it is when you're packing to go on a long trip or a vacation. You're going through the checklist in your mind of all the things that you can't forget, right? So maybe some of you are more type A personality, so you come up with an actual list like three weeks in advance, right? Or even further than that. And so you have a checklist of things that has to be in the car before you pull out of the driveway. Now, others of you, like literally two minutes before you're supposed to leave, you're still packing your suitcase, you're still throwing things in there, and you, don't ha you have no idea, right, when you get in the car, if you got everything. So some, if you're married, one of you is probably one way and one is the other, right? Well, think about that. When you're packing for a long trip or a journey or a vacation of some kind, what is the most important thing that you can't forget? So maybe it's your wallet, that's got your driver's license, it has your credit cards, it has your, your money in it, right? Your purse, something like that. Remember, remember the old days when we actually had to take physical paper tickets to like sporting events and concerts and things like that? Remember that? It was only like three years ago, but now everything is on your phone. But I remember times where you would get in the car like, do you have the tickets? Do, do we have the tickets to Disney World? Are we good, right? It's like you, you just have to remember to have those tickets, right? Well, maybe it's that. Now it's your phone. You can't forget your phone. Hey, parents, any of you ever forgotten your kid's favorite little stuffed animal on a trip, right, and had to turn around and go back and get it, right? It's just, it, you have to remember these things. These are important things. Well, as we continue our series today, we now come to the book of Numbers, where we will see the Israelites are getting ready to go on a long trip, a long journey to Canaan. Canaan is the land that God promised to give them. And there's some things they can't forget to take. They've been at Mount Sinai for over 10 months. So as we've been reading through Leviticus, as we've been preaching, studying through Leviticus, we have seen the Israelites encamped after God delivered them from Egypt, right, for 10 months at Mount Sinai. But now it's time to pack. It's time to get ready to go on another journey, a longer journey. It's time to move. It's time to start this journey to a new land, the land God promised 
to give them. And so what's the most important thing? What's the most important thing they need to go on this journey, to be successful? And the answer is really God himself. God himself is the most important person that must come with them. He is. He's coming with them on this journey. He's going on the trip with them. He's going to give them along the way everything they need for a successful journey. So, you know, the first few sermons in the series, we've, we've been in Leviticus showing us that, that God is holy and therefore his people must be holy, right? Leviticus was, was mostly instructions to Israel as to how to do that, right? How to be holy like God, how to imitate his life, his character. Well, Numbers then is kind of the sequel to that. It's all about putting these things into practice. Numbers is mostly stories of actually seeking to live out the holiness of God in their daily lives. So how are they going to do with this? How will Israel do? How will they live at this mission that God has given them to be holy as he is holy for the good of the world to see what God is like. Well, we're going to pick up today, I said numbers nine, we're going to actually start a little bit further back in number six. All right, so you can look along on the screens if you don't have a copy of God's word in front of you. But number six, beginning in verse 22, we'll go down to verse 27. So they're getting ready to go on their trip, and here's what the Lord says to Moses. He says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his son, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. You see, Israel, as they are preparing to embark on this long journey to a foreign land, a place they had never been, to Canaan, a good land that God had promised to give their forefather Abraham. And he had renewed this promise, this covenant along the way so that they can establish themselves as a nation that points all the other nations of the world to the one true God. So in an ancient world where polytheism, in other words, belief in multiple gods, many different kinds of gods, was the widespread uh, belief system, right? In that kind of ancient world, God had said, I am going to gather my own people to show the world that there's only one God. And that I am he, right? And and that my people will represent me in this world. We talked about that last week. But to get to that point, and I mean spiritually and geographically, right? To get to this new land, this place where God will build this nation so that they can represent him as a home base throughout the rest of the world. To get to Canaan, they have to go through a very large wilderness, A desert. You know, a wilderness then and now can be a very scary place. Later on, the prophet Jeremiah would describe this wilderness as a land of deserts and pits, drought, deep darkness, 
a land that none passes through where no man dwells. It was a vast desert of nothing. You're talking no water supply, no 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 food supply. I mean, you're talking a very dark, creepy place where people don't want to live, right? So knowing, knowing the dangerous and sometimes terrifying challenge ahead, do you see, do you see how important and comforting the words we just read in number six are for God's people? You see, before Israel begins to journey into the wilderness on the way to Canaan, what they need more than anything before they step foot into this vast unknown region of nothingness and darkness and unfamiliar territory and dangers lurking around every corner, before they start this journey, what do they need to know? They need to know that God is with them along the way. They need assurance of that. They need to know that the Lord will protect them. They need to know that the Lord is going to guide them. They need to know that he is going to be with them. And so that means everything will be all right. They know, they need to know the assurance that his love toward them is committed. That his love is sure. And that's exactly what God is giving them here. So not only do they have this assurance in number six where the Lord gives them his blessing, this security in knowing that God is with them, they also have his voice, the voice of God. Look at, look at Numbers chapter seven. You can just look on the screen. Numbers chapter seven, verse 89. And when Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim and it spoke to him. So I'm not going to rehash all of it, but you know, we've been learning through this series about the tabernacle, the tent, right? Where God dwelt in a special way in the middle of the Israelite camp and inside this inner chamber behind this curtain, behind this veil, where only the high priest could go once a year was the ark of the covenant. And inside of it contained among some other things, the 10 commandments of God. And so there was a golden lid on this box and two angels pointing toward each other above the box. And the voice of God, as Moses goes in, is speaking to him from that point. This is where God has chosen to reveal himself in this unique way. This is a vivid, clear reminder that God is really there. Like he is actually there. He is speaking to them. That is super cool, right? He is present with his people and he has something to say to them. He doesn't want them to be confused. He's not leaving them without his word. He wants them to have clarity. He wants them to know. He wants to teach them. He wants to lead them with his instruction. And so a lot of what we studied in Leviticus over the last several weeks has been God's instruction of clarity, right? And then we come to Numbers 9. We come to Numbers chapter 9 where we see one more thing that God is going to give his people before they embark on this great journey. Verse 15. Numbers 9 verse 15. On the day that the tabernacle was set up, The cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. And at evening, it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day, 
and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that, the people of Israel set out and in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. All right, so let's stop right there. So God is appearing to his people in a literal cloud, right, above this tabernacle, his tent. So this is, represents his special presence among his people, again, assuring them, I am with you. I'm with you. Wherever you go, I am there. I will be with you. I will lead you. I will guide you. I will protect you. And so he's appearing in this cloud by day, and it's a pillar of fire by night. And so this, these verses we're reading now are kind of a summary of how this worked. Whenever the cloud would move, they would pack up the tabernacle. There were people designated to pack it up, to carry it, and march. They had specific marching orders. They're a great nation of people on the move, right? So God is not a God of confusion. He's a God of order. He's a God of detail. And he's ordering them and detailing how to pack up the tabernacle, how to move, how to camp, how to march. He's telling them all these wonderful things so that they can be his people and get to the land safely. So when the cloud moves, they move. When the fire moves, they move. When the fire stops, when the cloud stops, they stop. They follow his every move. Verse 22, we'll skip down to verse 22. Look at this. Whether it was two days or a month or a longer time that the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. At the command of the Lord, they camped. And at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. So very clear, right? Moses, as he's writing this, wants us to know, right, that it was, it was just one step at a time. We followed God. If he left, we left. If he stayed, we stayed. We didn't question it. We just did it. That's what he's summarizing here for us. God was giving his people 24-7 protection and care. That's pretty awesome. It's very gracious of the Lord, isn't it? If anyone ever had any doubt in that Israelite camp, after all they had been through, after being slaves in Egypt all their lives, after the Lord rescuing them in these miraculous ways through sending plagues on the Egyptians and them witnessing the power of God in those ways, and then them getting to the brink of the Red Sea and Pharaoh and his army charging after them and they had nowhere to go. And what does God do? He protects them with this cloud so that they can cross Across on dry land, he moves and parts the ocean, the sea. And so he, they had already seen God protect them. They had already seen his loving provision and care. So if they ever had any doubt, if they ever had any doubt that God was really with them or not, all they had to do was look over to the middle of the camp where the tabernacle was and they would see the great cloud. They would see the great pillar of fire. If they ever woke up in the middle of the night, and they were afraid. All they had to do was look and know that God was with them. They were safe. It's like if you have kids, you know, they get scared in the middle of the night. One of our kids, this literally happened last night, <laughs> came down to our bed because she had a bad dream, right? It happens. Kids have a bad dream or they get scared. What do they need to know though? Why do they come to their parents' bedroom? They come there because they just want to know that you're there. As long as you're there, they know they're safe. They don't care about anything else. Nothing else matters. As long as you're there, they know that they're safe. That is exactly what God, a loving father, is providing to his children in Israel in this time. He is saying, I am here. I am here and you are safe. What great and immediate assurance this must have been for them to know that the Lord was really there 
to know that he's guiding them, leading them, protecting them. It was really gracious of God to do this for a people who, as we will see in the following weeks from now, were very rebellious, yet God was there. You know, the main point we need to see today from just these few verses that kind of start out the storyline in Numbers is that God is with us everywhere we go. He really is. And I hope that we see that today, how unprecedented, how amazing, how wonderful and beautiful that is for us today living in the 21st century, that God is with us everywhere we go. Have you ever thought about this? It's funny because this actually came up in our community group this morning. Have you ever thought about this? What if Jesus, like what if Jesus was physically here on earth right now? Like if he physically, he was in this room and he was specifically with you. And so when you left here today, he went home with you and you had lunch with him, right? So wherever you like to go, I don't know, right? And then you, you leave and you go home and then you check the Jaguar score and hopefully it's a good thing, but you have to watch your reaction because Jesus is with you, right? So you can't get too angry or too mad. He's standing there looking at you, looking at the score, right? Don't tell me the score, anybody. Don't be checking your phones right now either. See, nobody checked their phones last week during the sermon and they won. So, you know, we're not superstitious, we're just a little stitious, right? So however, however you think about this, if Jesus is really beside you everywhere you go during the day, how would you act, right? How would you live if he was really there? It would be different, wouldn't it? You, it would be amazing. And I don't want to undermine the beautiful presence of our Lord, but it would be different because you would seriously be thinking about him watching you and your every move. Well, guess what? Jesus was right beside his 12 disciples when he lived on earth in first century Palestine. They traveled with him. They ate with him. They served others with him constantly. So these disciples literally had what I just described. Jesus was there. Everything they did, he was there. But then Jesus said something quite remarkable. Look at John chapter 16, verse 7. This sounds strange, just to be honest. On, 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 at the first time we read it, it may sound strange. J Jesus said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. And that doesn't make sense. At least at first reading, in our human finite minds, why would it be to our advantage for Jesus not to be beside us? Look at this. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, capital H, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So, first of all, okay, so the word Helper there, the capital H, means the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit of God, member of the Trinity, now, let me share this with you. So one of my favorite pastors, J.D. Greer, in his book, Jesus Continued, is a book about the Holy Spirit, highly recommend it. He says this, he says, something, <clears throat> something was so important about the Holy Spirit that Jesus told his disciples it was to their advantage that he go away if his departure meant the Spirit came. The ESV Study Bible says this is because while Jesus was on earth, he could be in only one place at a time, but the Holy Spirit would carry on Jesus's ministry over the entire world at all times. So get this. You ready for this? 
if you, if you have truly committed your life to following Jesus Christ, our wonderful Savior, God is with you everywhere you go because he lives inside of you. Like how crazy and amazing and wonderful is that? 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Paul tells us a little more, he gives us a little more insight into this marvelous truth. He says, or do you not know that your body, he's speaking to the people of God, the Christians of the time, the church, he's saying, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Within you, right? Whom you have from God, you are not your own. Ephesians 2.22, he said it this way, in him you also are being built together, Christians, the church, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So in other words, this tabernacle is no longer necessary, which eventually became a permanent structure called the temple. The temple is no longer necessary. You know why? Because you, Christian, today, in 2023, you individually, us corporately as well, we are the temple of God. He lives in us. We don't need a tabernacle. We don't need a tent or a temple. God lives in us. So here's what this means for your life today. Three things. As we think that God is with us everywhere we go, that means three things for us. Number one, it means that we have his blessing. We have the blessing of God because he lives in us. Look back at number six again. The Lord is, this phrase, I'm sure many of you have heard this, it has become a very famous prayer or a famous benediction in many Christian churches today. Number six, 24, 25, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. You see, this would not, this would not be the last time that God would give his blessing on someone before they entered a wilderness. You see, this is exactly what Israel needed. They needed the blessing of God, the assurance to know that they belonged to him forever and nothing could change that before they go into the wilderness. But look at this. In Matthew chapter 3, before Jesus started his ministry in verse 16, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately... He went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. God is giving Jesus Christ his son, his blessing in this moment in the Jordan River, because why? Look at Matthew 4, verse 1. Then, after this baptism occurred, after God the Father gives the son his blessing, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit, where? Into the wilderness. Into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What is this telling us? Jesus is the true and greater Israel. He really is. Like Israel, Jesus received the blessing of God. Like Israel, 
He was led by God into the wilderness. But unlike Israel, he came out on the other side victorious. You see, Jesus perfectly obeyed in his wilderness where Israel failed to obey. Why did he do this? Why did Jesus do this? He did it for me and for you. To give us the blessing of God. Jesus entered into the wilderness and was tempted by Satan to overcome. He entered into the darkness of the cross to overcome. He, emptied, he entered into the darkness of the tomb to overcome. To give us the blessing. He took the curse to give us the blessing of God. But in order for us to get the blessing of God, Jesus had to endure the wrath of God. For God's face to shine upon us, as it says in number six, God had to turn his face away from Jesus on the cross. When Jesus hung on the cross and darkness covered the land, he cried, what? My God, my God, why, are you, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus had to be forsaken by God the Father so that we could be blessed. He took the God-forsakenness that we deserve because of our own sin. He took that on himself in our place as our substitute on the cross to give us or to satisfy the wrath of God toward us so that it could be paid for, done, completed, and in exchange by faith in him, not ourselves, not anything else in this world, but by faith in Christ, we, instead of getting God's wrath, we receive his blessing. Because Jesus, the blessed one, entered into our wilderness and overcame what we could not. Another way to say it is this. The words God the Father spoke over Jesus at his baptism, when he looked at Jesus and said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, listen to this. Is this the blessing you need in your wilderness wandering today? Listen to this. Child of God, follower of Jesus. When God said that to Christ, if you are found in Christ, if you belong to Jesus, those words are just as true of you today. You are his beloved son. You are his beloved daughter in Christ. He is well pleased with you because you are found in him. And is that not the assurance we need? Our modern minds have trouble with this word blessing. You see, Christ's blessing is your blessing today. When we think of blessing, we often we want this to mean, you know, well, when I think of God's blessing, I think of being healthy, right? I think of being healthy and not getting any sickness and living a really long life. When I think of God's blessing, I think of, well, you know, money and, and being comfortable and, and God, we have a lot of things and nice possessions and so we get to have a comfortable life and peace. Like we think that's what we need. We think that's what we want. That's what we aspire to. But this blessing this blessing that we're reading about, that we're learning about today, it's not the 21st century American version of the word. The blessing is not that you will be perfectly healthy your whole life. We're all going to die. The blessing is not that you will be wealthy and just live a simple, comfortable life where you really don't have to bother anybody. Nobody bothers you. That's not what we're called to do. It's okay if you have resources. It's okay if you have wealth. But that's not the ultimate goal. The blessing we have from God is the approval and the acceptance of God through Christ. 
Your blessing is eternal life, not temporary pleasure. In Christ Jesus, God is pleased with you. He wants to give you his blessing. He has. He has. You know, this should give us the greatest confidence, the greatest assurance in the world, shouldn't it? That our God, that he knows everything about you, and yet he still loves you completely, fully, more than you can imagine. Let me say that again. God knows everything about you. And if Jesus stands in your place, if your faith is in him, he still loves you anyway. Now that, that is blessing. That the wrath we deserve because of our sin that God is not pleased with. Do we deserve to be punished for us? Absolutely. Jesus took the punishment forever and always. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a blessing. Second thing we see here as we think and we dwell on this truth that God is with us everywhere we go, the second thing that means is that we must listen to his instruction and guidance. So notice in Numbers, uh, Numbers chapter 7 that we read, verse 89, right? When Moses was in the tent, uh, in, he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord. What did he hear? He heard the voice of God speaking to him, right? So for Moses, hearing God's voice was very clear. There was no question whose voice was coming from within the tabernacle. It's the voice of God. He lives among them. He's instructing them. He is guiding them. So since God lives in Christians today, how do we know when God is speaking to us? I mean, there is no room in your house that you can go to where there is an Ark of the Covenant, right? How do you know, right? How do you know when God is speaking to you? Well, it might be more simple than you think. We tend to overcomplicate this. And here's, here's what we need to know. God has already spoken to you. You're like, when? where? When? Did I miss it? Right? Where's that? Where did that happen? Right? No, God has already spoken to you in his word, in the Bible. God has already spoken to us and given us everything we need for life and godliness in the word of God, in the Bible. To quote Greer again from his book, Jesus Continued, he says, God's word, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit who lives in you, they always work together. It's like a tandem bicycle, right? They're, they're always in step together. That's how you move through life is by the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God working in tandem. So John 14, 26, look at what Jesus said. He said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will what? He will teach you. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So, so Greer says that the Spirit makes the living Word come alive in us. He explains it to us. He shows us specific ways we are to apply these truths. God's Spirit never operates independently of His Word. If you want to be led by the Spirit of God, then devote yourself to the Word of God. You see... Anything apart, anything apart from the truth that God has given us in his word is not the Holy Spirit speaking to you. So listen, you know, I, th I think we really, we get, we get hung up on this a little too much sometimes. Oh, I was driving down the interstate 
and I saw this billboard and it was related to this circumstance. I'm going through my life. And so I called fair and fair, you know, like, I don't know. Like, yeah, I just don't know. Right. And it was the Lord speaking to me. Right. You know, or I was watching TV, you know, and this commercial came on. And then I was thinking about this person that I needed to call because their name was in the commercial. Right. I mean, uh, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know. Right. I don't, I don't think that's how we need to discern the voice of God, right? You don't have to look for signs in, you know, for the clouds to form into an image, right? You don't have to look for the stars to like spell out a word in the sky. You don't have to do that. Why? Because Psalm 119, 105 tells us, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God has already spoken to us. And his Holy Spirit wants to reveal what this good truth, this wonderful source of his truth means in your practical life. And he can take that and apply it to your specific situations, but it must start in the word, not on a TV commercial and not in the sky. I'm always skeptical when somebody comes up to me and says, you know, I think God is speaking to me. I'm saying, okay, well, what's he saying, right? And so then they proceed to tell me things that aren't even in line with what the Bible says. That's not the Lord speaking to you. That is the bad fish you ate the night before, right? It's not the Lord speaking to you. So we must be careful. We must be careful to lean on the Holy Spirit's guidance, but we do that as we listen to God's word. Those two things work together in a mysterious way that we cannot fully comprehend. So how are we doing with this? How are you doing with this? And I mean, let's just get real. Like, do you feel, where you, wherever you are in your spiritual journey right now, do you feel the Holy Spirit is guiding you on a daily basis because you were grounded in the Word of God? Because you were doing real good Bible reading consistently or Bible study consistently in your life? Do you feel like the Holy Spirit is actually leading you because you were in the Word of God and praying to Him through what you're reading? Or, or the counterpart, or do you feel dry? I know what it's like to feel dry spiritually. You know, you get out of the rhythm, you get busy with life, you just kind of, it's not that you don't love God anymore, it's not that you don't care about reading his word, you just have not made the discipline and the time to do it. And so you start to feel a little dry spiritually, you just don't feel like you really love God, you know, you just don't feel that way. Maybe... Maybe you wouldn't know God's will for your life if it was written in the sky because you just feel so dry and so far from the Lord. So what do we do in those moments? How do we, how do we course correct? Maybe it's time to get some clarity. Where do we get the clarity? God's word is clear. The Holy Spirit is powerful. Let's not underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit of God who lives in us. He wants to lead you and guide you and teach you through his word. So guess what? Let those two things happen. Let the word of God speak to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let God work in your life in that way. Don't neglect this wonderful thing, this opportunity. And this leads us into our next point, our last point. Lastly, since God is with us everywhere we go, we must follow him wherever he leads. If God is really with us, if he was really with the children of Israel, should they not just take him at his word and follow him wherever he actually does lead them? Look, at, look I love this description in verse 22 and 23 in Numbers 9. Where, whether it was two days 
right? I mean, it could have been two days. It could have been a month. It could have been a year. What did they do? The cloud continued. They would stay, right? They would move if it moved. They would stay if it stayed. But when it lifted, they set out. Verse 23, at the command of the Lord, they camped. And at the command of the Lord, they set out. And just imagine, like we already said, imagine the confidence, you know? The confidence this should bring to Israel. If God is leading them through the wilderness, what do they have to fear? The wilderness is a dark, scary place at night. There are dangers you cannot see. There were no city streetlights. There were no flashlights. Only maybe some torches on the outer parts of the camp. They could not see what was coming. They're in a wilderness. The context is not to be preferred. But God is with them. They're not alone. And his leading shows that they are going somewhere. See, that's the whole kicker in this whole thing. If God is with us, that that means that we are going somewhere. He's not... This isn't arbitrary, right? The direction of your life is not arbitrary. The direction of your life is not aimless. If God is leading, that means there is a direction. There is purpose, even if you can't see it, even if you don't believe it. If you belong to God, there is direction and purpose. He is moving you in some way right now. This is especially true, especially true for all of us as we find ourselves in our own wilderness. In our own wilderness journeys, whatever they may be, we can have confidence. We can have confidence and assurance even in our wilderness, our dark places, our dark seasons of life, our difficulties that are not comfortable. The parts and the seasons of your life where you might be right now where you're just uncomfortable. You're uncomfortable with your context, your situation, your your fruitfulness. You're just uncomfortable with it all. Your resources may seem limited. Your surroundings are unfamiliar. But there is a Lord who is guiding you. Theologian Raymond Brown says, God knew the right days for them to move on and the best times to stay put. I love that. God knew. They didn't know what was around the corner. They didn't know what was coming the next day. They didn't know what danger may have been lurking, but God knew. He knew when they should stay put. He knew when they should move. Verse 22 says, sometimes it was two days, sometimes a month, sometimes even longer, that they had to be patient. They had to be patient. They had to wait. They had to just be still. They had to just be still and know that he was God. They had to wait for him to move. Brown says, there were days when the cloud when they could see that they were making progress. There were days when they could see that they were making progress, but at other times, they may have been puzzled because nothing was happening. For most of us, at some time or another, life has its bewildering waiting times. The evidence of God's continuing care appears limited, even absent. But listen to this, waiting times are not wasted times. Waiting times are not Wasted times if God is leading you and guiding you and protecting you. So let me ask you, where in your life, where in your life right now are you just kind of impatient, honestly? You're growing impatient with the Lord, ultimately, not just yourself or your spouse or your kids or your job or whatever. You're growing impatient with the Lord. You're waiting for him to move because he has had you 
camped in the same spot for maybe two days, maybe a month, or maybe even much, much longer. And you're wondering, God, why am I not moving? Why why does there not seem to be this progress in my life? In other words, what is your wilderness right now? You see, the key, the key in understanding the beauty of God leading us in the wilderness is trusting his sovereign love. His sovereign love. The two of those, those two words combined mean great things for us. It means that for those who are called according to his purpose, he is working all things together for good. It means that God is God, right? I'm not, I don't need to try to be. You're not, stop trying to be, right? Let's don't do that. Let's don't try to be in control of every little thing. Let's not grow anxious every time something doesn't go the way we think it should go. No, God is God, which means he is ultimately in control, but he's not some brutal tyrant above us. No, he is a loving father who is leading you and guiding you. If we trust his sovereign care, his sovereign love, then we can ask questions even in the middle of pain, even in the middle of suffering, whether it be emotional suffering, psychological, relational, physical, any form. We can ask good, healthy questions. What is the Lord trying to teach me right now? What does his word say about this? We can cry out to God and just be honest. We can tell him our doubts and our fears. Cast your burdens upon him. We can do this. We can ask questions like, how can I help others? How can I help someone else in a wilderness that I've gone through? If you're recovering from addiction or perhaps you're on the other side of it, how can you help someone else? How can you come alongside someone who is in the middle of the wilderness and say, come on, brother, let's do this together. How can I help you? How can I love you? Ultimately, we can ask, where is this leading me? And we already know the answer. God is leading you to become more like Jesus Christ. And every little thing that he's doing in your life right now, every single dark moment that you experience, he is leading you in preparation for eternity, which is the opposite of a wilderness. You see, the wilderness was not the end for the Israelites and it's not the end for you. The Lord, if you belong to the Lord, he is leading you to a land flowing with milk and honey, a world without death and decay where there is no darkness and there is no night. He is leading you to a place where all things will be made right where everything that's ever been sad will become untrue and only good and holiness will exist. You see, there is a light at the end of this wilderness wandering that we're all on. And our wonderful, beautiful, sovereign, loving God and creator is leading you there with direction and purpose every single step of the way. Do not doubt. Do not fear. Do not look away from his beautiful presence that is with you and ends you. He is inside of you. Psalm 23, verses one through four, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
you are with me. Everywhere we go, everywhere you are right now, all the different places, God is there. He's working. Are you listening to his voice? You have his blessing. Are you waiting patiently? Are you following wherever he's leading? We have the blessing. Listen to his instruction. Follow him wherever he may lead.